Well, again, good morning. It is good to be back with you all. We had the opportunity to worship alongside you from just across the parking lot via the live stream last week, but it is good to be here in person. So whether you're joining us here or via the live stream, thank you. We've had a wonderful service so far, and thank you so much for sharing. Um, my undergrad was in missions, but they teach uh, undergrad and, and above grad professional degrees in missions, and my hair of experience in missionary work does not compare to the depth that you have done, and I'm the one preaching. <laughs> so that's where I am this morning. <laughs> Please talk to them about Great Commission discipleship after the service. But yes, again, thank you to all of the volunteers who stepped up last week. You step up every single week, and you do a phenomenal job doing that. But thank you again for last week, and thank you, Pastor Rick, for preaching on such short notice. Oh, we definitely appreciate that. Well, this sermon was meant for last Sunday, but one-week delay is no problem. As Pastor Mark had mentioned, we are closing our Anchored series as we've been going through the four primary core values of our church the church leadership put these together a few years ago before Pastor Miranda and I um, got to join your congregation. Um, but it's been wonderful to go through them and to learn about the heart and the mission of this church. Um, most recently, so two weeks ago, was the last sermon in this series, and Pastor Mark preached on our core value of cross-generational community. It was intentionally connected with Grandparents' Day and our celebration of Legacy Sunday as we remembered our heritage as a church and reflected on how it's the responsibility of every to disciple to disciple the next generation. We don't leave that responsibility solely on the parents or grandparents of the bloodlines, but we as a church community gather around the next generation and we disciple them together. He had said in his sermon that God has given us precious few moments and what we do or don't do will have an eternal impact. In the service prior to Legacy Sunday, Pastor Blair got to preach on our value of no strings attached to compassion. She talked about how we want to meet the tangible needs of the unloved without judging or holding back, just so that people can experience the embrace of Jesus. And in the first week of our series, Pastor Mark preached on our first value, real life connecting. We want nothing more than to make much of Jesus, and every day, no kidding, this is how it is life. All of these values, compassion, connecting, and community, climax into our fourth and final value, faithfulness to the Great Commission. Here at NPNAS, we shamelessly focus on making disciples that make disciples. So naturally, our text for this morning is from Ecclesiastes 3. Thank you. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'm reading for the NIV. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. God, it is good to be worshiping you alongside our family of believers. This morning, as we reflect on your commission and your promise, may we become better disciples and better disciple makers. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you are. We love you, Lord. Be with us today. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're thinking that we just heard a sermon from this text, well, you're not wrong. At the end of July, we invited Pastor Don Stubbs from the local off-the-wall ministries to come in, and he preached on discipleship and did a phenomenal job, and he preached from the same passage. I'm actually going to be referencing many things that he brought up in that sermon today. Um, But with it being connected to one of our core values, we are taking another look at it this morning. One of the points that Pastor Don had uh, took a look at was he touched on how over the years we Christians have placed the wrong or at least different emphasis on the phrases that Jesus uses on his commission to us. He had touched on how um, going out to all the nations can look very different. We absolutely are supposed to go to the very ends of the earth. Um, We talked about how the mission of Jesus started in Jerusalem and has expanded everywhere, and we want to participate and continue participating in that mission. What it really comes down to is that Jew and non-Jew are all welcomed into that mission, and every single person is supposed to participate. That phrase of, of all nations very much fulfills God's promise all the way back in Genesis 12 when he promises Abraham that I'm going to bless you and your future family for the sake of blessing the entire world. This mission is for everybody. And that's a different way of looking at the of all nations while still fully accepting that missionaries are to be sent everywhere. Pastor Don also mentioned how we don't emphasize the the verb go the same way that Jesus does in Matthew. With the way the original Greek sentence was structured, Jesus is saying, as you go, or while going, do these things. So as you go about life, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them about the way of our Christ. Yes, sometimes our call to go does mean going to another people group, another nation, another ethnicity. But for the majority of us, statistically speaking, we're going to see more of our day-to-day living in the Great Commission in the way that we just go about life, making much of Jesus in the no kidding, this is how it is life. It's extremely similar to our core value of real life connecting. We aren't supposed to fake some high and mightiness, but as we go about life, we seek to make much of Jesus in our lifestyles, our habits, our disciplines, and our interactions with others. Now, as you are going and doing these things, some of the steps it takes to be a disciple or disciple maker are going to feel spiritual. They're going to feel maybe churchy. There are things like coming to church that you might not do if you don't fit those categories of disciple or disciple maker. Um, There's other churchy things like regularly reading your Bible and praying. These things we can easily categorize as spiritual or something that you need to do to be a Christian disciple. 
in order to be a disciple maker, there's also going to be some things added to that. There's going to be some direct actions like sitting down with the disciple to talk about God, praying together, asking the hard accountability questions that you might just not get to in regular small talk. Outside of my family, the person who has most notably taken those directly spiritual, categorized, churchy steps to disciple me was my youth and worship pastor growing up, Pastor Wes Wickard. Towards the end of high school, I was hearing him preach three sermons a week. I was meeting with him at least a couple days. Uh, We would pray together as a youth group and as a worship team, but he didn't let it stop at that communal, um, everyone gathering together kind of discipleship. But we would meet together one-on-one regularly. We would often go to the local pizza buffet. I very often would find myself at church on non-church nights working on different youth group projects with him. I remember one night, I think it was my sophomore year of high school, I was with Pastor Wes and Jake Booer, who is now a church planner in Mansfield, Ohio, and we were setting up the gym for a concert. Now, we didn't have the like drop-down projectors like you would see above, but we needed to get the projector high enough. Um, so, in order to do that, I'm pretty sure I was standing on a round table that was standing on a second round table that was standing on a third round table. And I added this story, and I placed another one pretty late in my sermon planning, but the more and more I've been reading this, I've been wondering how I shimmied up to each table. Um, I'm still not exactly sure how I got up there, Um, but I do remember getting a call from my mom, who's here today. Thank you, parents, for joining us. Um, They don't live around here. That's not shaming them for not coming to church. (laughs) They attend the Marian Church of the Nazarene. But... Thank you, CJ. <laughs> um, I remember getting a phone call because I was on the third layer of the table setting up this projector, and my phone was on the first table. Um, she was calling me to tell me to get home because it's a school night, and it's way past midnight. I think it was almost 2 o'clock at that night, and I had to jump down each table to answer that phone call. <laughs> I go to talk about all of that, and I've got many other stories that (laughs) Pastor West got me involved in, Um, just to make the point that he and his ministry would take on these crazy projects like setting up weird projectors or concerts or trips or that kind of thing for the sake of having deep conversations with the students. We had more conversations one-on-one doing those random things than we would have ever had just coming in and out of youth group. And that kind of ministry is not limited to clergy. In fact, clergy might have a harder time with that because our co-workers, I believe, all know Christ and love Christ. (laughs) Um, Many of you have the privilege, privilege of working with people who do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And having those conversations, while they might be harder to have, you're given more opportunities for them. So in that kind of, whether it's a work relationship or other type of thing, everyone um, can start those spiritual conversations, not just clergy. We all have some kind of craft, a trade, a game, or some kind of knowledge to share that can be used intentionally to start spiritual conversations. 
Not every moment in life is going to feel churchy or a source of direct discipleship because that's not real life, right? We all have routine tasks, small talk, and just everyday interactions all the time that aren't deeply spiritual. But that doesn't mean that discipleship can't happen indirectly in those moments. Remember, Jesus said, as you are going, do these things. So as you're interacting with the waitress later today because um, half her her co-workers didn't show up to work and she's stressed and running behind, live like Jesus. As you are driving, like this story that Don Stubbs told, live like Jesus. As you are sending emails, as you are cheering on the Browns later, as you are talking with your spouse, live like Jesus. Not only will the person you are directly interacting with experience the love of Jesus, but those around you will notice too. How you carry yourself matters, and those you are discipling will definitely take note. My other sermons have usually included references from lighter, happier movies like Toy Story 4 or Frozen 2. But how many of you have seen the Jackie Robinson movie 42? Got a few hands. Thank you. Amazing movie. Uh, Jackie Robinson is played by the late great, great Chadwick Boseman. And even if you're like me and really don't care about baseball at all, sorry, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> I've probably seen more fictional baseball between 42 and Moneyball than I've sat down and watched in real life. Um, But it's a great portrayal of racial integration in the late 40s. There's a scene in the movie where a white father and white son are getting adjusted to their seats at the beginning of the game. It's the son's first major league game, and the father is telling him stories about all of the games that he's attended into his life. He's teaching them about baseball history. They're having a great time together. Then Jackie takes the field, and the mostly white crowd goes hatefully nuts, yelling racial slurs and telling him that he doesn't belong here. The little son is clearly squeamish and uncomfortable at first, but he wants to be like his dad. So he joins in the crowd and repeats everything that the dad is yelling. The father who was having this direct teaching moment with his son, he was teaching about baseball history, they were eating popcorn, they were getting together, they were having a great time, they were learning together, his son was learning how, what it means to be a baseball fan, but his indirect discipleship of his son, his teaching him how to be a racist, it was that that elicited such a volatile response from his son And that's probably what the son remembered for the rest of his life. If we want to be serious about living the Great Commission and live up to our value of shamelessly making disciples that make disciples, then we must intentionally live like Jesus in every aspect of our life. The way we conduct ourselves in the most spiritual moments, to the very least, will be noticed, especially if you're willing to take on the term disciple-maker. For the Jews who originally received Jesus' commission, things used to be different. Before Jesus came onto the scene, they could live quietly in the country, they could stay busy with their work, they could keep the law, attend synagogue, and wait for the Messiah to come. It's not that the waiting was easy, I'm not trying to diminish that, that's very well documented across the Old Testament. But daily life outside of the priestly orders meant keeping the law and waiting for the for the Messiah to come and to redeem the nation of Israel. 
but then Jesus. He called for fishermen to drop their nets and leave the family business. He called for tax collectors to give up positions of power and to live without a home. He called zealots to lead a revolution in a totally different way that they had trained for. Jesus' calling to his disciples required a unique and total commitment, unlike any other commitment that they had made before. His disciples accepted their call and did extraordinary things that we read about across the Gospels. It's to these men who the Great Commission was originally given to. It might be easy to place these disciples upon a pedestal and say that we can't ever achieve that kind of faith. Remember, though, they all did just run away and betray him on the night of his death. And when Jesus enters the scene in Matthew twenty-eight seventeen, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus' own closest disciples carried doubt. Jesus tells these worshiping yet doubting disciples, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gives this insurance to empower them. For it wasn't to angels or perfect believers, but to a wavering yet worshiping community of disciples whom the mission of the entire church was entrusted. You do not have to have all of the answers to be a disciple or to be a disciple maker. If that was the case, the mission and message of Jesus would have simply died when he ascended. His promise to never leave us and his commandment to go and make disciples still stands with us today. The promise and mission are for all of us, and we shouldn't try to accept one without the other. When Pastor Stubbs was here, he said, saying I've never made a disciple, but I've loved Christ my whole life is a contradiction. He's right. And the speaker for our district's camp meeting this summer said it this way, if you are water, you are wet. If you are a believer, you make disciples. In the same way that water in its liquid state cannot be wet, cannot not be wet, sorry. Someone who is loving and obeying Jesus is making disciples. It's a challenging truth, but still truth. So as you go about your day today, think about it. Whose life are you directly investing in? This kind of investment can take on so many forms. It's in the way you raise your children. It's how you're caring for our young parents across the church. It's the effort you put into having a conversation with our teenagers. As mentioned before, this message and core value is deeply connected with our other values, including cross-generational community. Over the course of the series, We've been, having, we've been asking you to set aside certain tiny percentages of your day and week for different religious purposes. And this morning, I want to continue that and ask for just 1% of your month. On average, there's 730 hours in a month. So would you be willing to set aside just seven hours for intentional discipleship over the course of the next month? That's less than an hour and a half a week and those hours can be spent either discipling someone else, being discipled yourself, or a combination of both, because we do understand that as the teacher teaches, the teacher learns, right? Something that happens together. These are really easy hours to multitask, because we are called to disciple as we go. 
but we can be very intentional about that multitasking. While you're working on something, invite someone to over to help and dig into a deep topic. Or if you know someone who needs help with something, go over, and while you're helping out with whatever it is, share your testimony. Share about what you're reading in Scripture. Share about what the missionaries have talked about. And for my mall cop segue, our church even offers these things called discipleship groups. So nice how that all connects. In Ephesians 4.12, church leadership is given the task to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And that is what we're trying to do with these discipleship groups. We know that no program can disciple people, but we want our small groups and Bible studies to be communities of faith that help facilitate spiritual growth. It's in these groups where you can better get to know the people with whom you worship on Sunday mornings. It's here where you can dig into scripture and the deep conversations with other believers. They're excellent places to ask questions, express doubt, support each other, and as Pastor Rick likes to say, eat some good food. (laughs) Our kids and teen ministries are all built around the small group model of ministry, and they kicked off their meetings last Sunday on what was supposed to be the church's big fall kickoff until, well, last week happened. But we also have nine different adult Bible studies and small groups. Details for the groups with open spots can be found in your bulletin insert, but I want to hit each one pretty quickly. On Monday nights from 6 to 7, John Henney leads an in-depth Bible study in his home. All are welcome, and the name of this group is A Deeper Walk. We currently don't have any groups meeting on Tuesdays, so skipping to Wednesdays. And starting this Wednesday, Pastor Mark is going to be leading a new Bible study called Connections. They'll be going through the Nazarene curriculum, Faith Connections. It'll be held from 2 to 3 in the afternoon, and we'll meet in Classroom C, which is the room across from the main church office. In that same classroom later that night, Rick Bloom leads a men's group called Armor Bearers from 6 to 7, and all men are welcome. Also on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8, we have a brand new small group for young couples called Growing Pains, led by Pastor Matt and Amanda Archer. Young couples and their kids are welcome, and if there's ever a time where just one person of that couple is able to attend but can't with the other, that's okay. Come anyway. You don't have to come as a couple. Snacks are provided, and Growing Pains meets in the youth building. Jumping to Sunday nights, Bob Murray leads a Sunday evening Bible study in Classroom C from 6 to 7, and all are invited. And finally, Miranda and I are also starting a new small group on the second and fourth Sundays at our house just across the parking lot from 5.30 to 7 p.m. Our group is called Abide, and everybody is invited. We're planning for our first group tonight, but if you are coming, please see Pastor Miranda before you leave just so we can make the right preparations, and we'll provide dinner. So those are the quick details about our six open groups. More details can be found on your insert, online on our website. You can come talk to us or the leaders, or in the Church Center app. We've got plenty of ways for you to find out about groups. And while I didn't mention the, th- the three other groups that our church has because they're at full capacity, thank you to Pastor Rick, Pastor Mark, and the Sanders for leading those three groups. If you're not currently in a group, please get connected with one. 
We would truly love to see them all fully utilized for the purpose of discipleship as we seek to make disciples who make disciples. We have a wonderful group of discipleship leaders who have shared about how their groups have stepped up in times of need. They've shared how God has blessed them with the space in their houses so they want to share it with others. They have testified to the meaningful conversations that have taken place and the deep relationships sorry, that have been built because of the groups. They've even shared about how good the food is. So as we close, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing together, would you please prayerfully consider getting involved with a discipleship group? Like I said, we are not saying these groups are going to necessarily produce disciples, but we want to offer these places for you to get to know people and have these spiritual conversations where we can facilitate shamelessly making disciples who make disciples. Would you stand and sing with us?